Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to Parkview. Cubs win. Come on, let's keep this going. This is good. Jesus is coming back, baby. I mean, seriously, don't you think the rain delay was sent by God? I mean, come on. It was, I'm telling you. It was like all the momentum was gone. Oh, hang on, let's rain delay 17 minutes. Here we go. Um, In case you made any promises during the ninth inning, like a lot of people did to God, I stole this on my social media. Services start at 8.30 at Orland. You know what I mean? Every pastor in the country stole that one. That's fun. Let's just celebrate right now with a little YouTube just to celebrate the emotion of what's gone on this week. Here you go. Okay, it was okay to scream like a girl, wasn't it? Ah, That's just awesome. All right, I want to know how many people went down to see the Blue River and do the, do the thing. All right, some of you diehards, man, five million people, so crazy. Glad to have you here. Glad you're uh, worshiping with us online. The nice thing about the Cubs uh, World Series is the diversion that it's been from the presidential election. Am I right? Um, if, if the World Series could have just gone one more week, man, we would, we would be okay. We could just get through it. Andy Borowitz wrote a tongue-in-cheek piece for the New Yorker magazine. In an unexpected televised address on Saturday, Queen Elizabeth II offered to restore British rule over the United States of America. Addressing the American people from her office in Buckingham Palace, the Queen said she was making the offer in recognition of the desperate situation you now find yourselves in. This 240-year experiment in self-rule began with the best of intentions, but I think we can all agree it didn't end well, she said. The Queen urged Americans to write her name in on Election Day, (laughs) after which transition to British rule would begin. Elizabeth acknowledged that in the wake of Brexit, Americans might be alarmed about the government by parliamentary procedure, but she reassured them Parliament will play no role in this at all. This will be old-school monarchy, just me... And then assuming you'd rather not have Charles, we'll go straight to William and those children of his that have mesmerized you so much. There you go. Not a bad idea. I I don't don't know. I I need to say this right up front. I love my country. I'm proud to be an American where at least I know I'm free and all that stuff. But, But let's just be clear. God is not American. Okay? He's not sitting up in heaven with an American flag draped over his lap hoping that everything turns out well in the United States of America. In the first place, he's in charge of everything in the world, so he's not worried about it anyway. But in the second place, he is equally concerned with his children in Asia and Africa and Australia as he is in the USA, okay? Jesus loves the little children of the world, red, yellow, black, and white. They are all precious in his sight. So let's have an honest conversation today about the fact that just because I think I'm right, or even if I am right, There are a lot of people who disagree with me, and God loves them just as much as he loves me. Let me do a test, okay? If you know this one, don't don't spoil it for everybody else. I'm uh, going to put a sentence up here, and I'm going to ask you to count the Fs in this sentence. Here we go. Count the Fs, okay? F, F, right? This is what most people do. 70% of the people do that. There's three Fs in there, right? Or there's six because of those. Did you see those? Okay. 
What, what, what was that all about, right? Well, why did you only see three? I mean, some of you, maybe, maybe you're smarter than the rest of us, but most of us, what our mind does when we read that sentence is we don't see the F in of. Why? Because we don't say it like an F. We say it like a V. This is why I'm not going back to British rule because their language doesn't make any sense, okay? It should be of, not of, but, but, but because our mind doesn't hear it that way, we're not going to see that right away. And, and I give you that test because I want you to understand perspective, okay? It's perspective. That's the problem. Well, how could some people believe that socialized medicine through something like Obamacare is a good idea? Perspective. They would say, how could you not? Poor people need medicine. But how could some people believe that we should be allowed to carry guns in in the midst of all the violence that's going on in our world? They would say, perspective. It's my constitutional right, and the more time goes on, the more I think I might need one. Well, how could some people say that it's okay to kill an unborn child as long as it hasn't come out of the womb yet? They would say, my perspective is that it's a woman's right to choose. Now, just bringing those three things up, has already made you mad, hasn't it? Because <laughs> I don't know about you, but I have strong opinions about those. And one of the opinions on one of those issues, I think is completely tied in and based on Scripture. It doesn't mean that I shouldn't vote accordingly or even actively work at trying to get those laws changed, okay? But different people have different perspectives. How can black people in America not trust the cops? I know there's been some bad things happen, but all in all, I'm glad for their protection. Have you ever been in a minority situation like that? It's about perspective. I have to realize that my perspective and my opinion are my perspective and my opinion. And even if it is a plainly biblical ideal, not everybody in the world believes in the Bible. And some people who do believe in the Bible interpret the Bible differently than I do. Every one of us has a prejudice in our hearts one way or another, a bias based on our perspective, what we know and what we feel. Every one of us except for cats. This is a cat. He does not hate you because of your ethnicity, sexuality, gender, appearance, or religion. He hates you because he's a cat. Thank you very much. You see, boys and girls, I have a problem. I can't make fun of the Cubs anymore. They won the World Series, so it's just cats. I got nothing but cats, okay? So, so this, is a, this is not a new issue, you guys, all right? And I want to take you to a New Testament story that illustrates for us straight out of the Bible as they were dealing with this. But before I do, I wanted to bring, I, I wanted to pray. I think we need to pray, and I don't want to pray. I don't want the middle-aged white guy who is up here all the time to pray. I wanted to bring somebody up to pray with a different perspective, and um, I have Wallace and Mary Kamau from Kenya here this weekend because we're doing child sponsorships. So, Mary, would you come out right now? Mary's going to pray for us. Um, she's not African-American. She's just plain old African. And, um, and she's a she. And she is awesome. So... Would you, I'll tell you her story along the way, and, and we'll talk some more along the way. Um, but she just has such a cool accent. It, I think God hears her better than he hears us. So pray for us, will you, Mary? Okay. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you. We honor you this morning. Thank you for giving us a great weekend here at Parkview Christian Church. Thank you, dear Lord, for the work that you are doing among your people here. 
Thank you, dear Lord, for our brothers and sisters that are here that partner with us and give uh, so generously even towards the ministry in Kenya to help our children. Our Father, we thank you and we pray in Jesus' name that you will bless them, bless their families, everlasting Father, and bless this nation even at this time of the elections. Lord, I pray that uh, you will help our brothers and sisters to remain focused on you in every way. Father, we thank you and we bless you because you are well able. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Love you. Um, I just think the people from outside of the world look at us and um, they can help us to bring a little perspective to things along the way. We're going to talk about what you can do to be proactive. All right. So let me take you to to, to the story in Acts 10, if you've got your Bibles, your phones, you want to turn over there. Jesus gives Peter the keys to the kingdom, all right? He says, I want you to be the leader of my church. He says, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. And Peter uses these keys as he stands up on the day of Pentecost and starts the church. And his sermon started like this. You might not have, I, I didn't notice it really saying it like this until I read it this week. Fellow Jews... And all who are living in Jerusalem, listen carefully to what I say. Okay. To the Jews. I mean, he, that, that's his audience. So, you know, it'd just be, I mean, I guess in a way, just my fellow Americans or whatever is all he's saying. But it's interesting in light of what's going to happen in here. Fellow Jews, listen to what I have to say. And he preached to them about Jesus. He told them about Jesus. And they said, okay, we, we're, we're sorry. We didn't know he was the son of God. We killed him. What should we do? And he says, repent. And be baptized, all who are far off, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise, <coughs> this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, whom the Lord our God will call. But do you think he really meant that? I mean, Peter was elated to find 3,000 people respond to him immediately, respond to the gospel, get baptized on that first day, but they were all Jewish people. What Peter didn't realize was that the keys that God had given him to the kingdom had more than one key on it. And and I, I want to point this out because I think sometimes we don't do that either. Republican Christians have a hard time believing that there are Democrat Christians, and Democrat Christians have a hard time believing that there are Republican ones. And any kind of issue that you, that you want to know, that's what's going on here, okay? They're, Gentile, they're going to be Gentile Christians. There aren't any yet, but they're going to be Gentile keys to the kingdom. And it's going to be hard for Peter because Peter is a Jew, and he's been taught that the, the Gentiles are inferior. God had told the Jewish people to remain separate. He had to, because every time the Jewish people, every time his children would get around other nations, they would start worshiping other idols, okay? And so their faith was to be kind of separate and be by themselves and stay to themselves. And that's why some Christians today do the same thing. They live in their own little, you know, their own little world and do their own little schools, their own, own little radio stations, own little thing. And everybody has to know what their, their limits are, but... Amish would be the extreme example of that from the Christian faith. Except that Jesus, and we talk about this all the time, Jesus came and he said, stop being separate. Stop being exclusive. Stop staying away from everybody else and go into all the world. Go into all the world and become salt and light. That's what he told us. Salt does no good 
if it's just sitting around in the shaker. Light does no good if it's just shining on each other. And the Amish are really just biding their time until they die or until Jesus returns. They don't, they don't have a purpose. They're not being salt or light. I'm thinking about writing a purpose-driven life for Amish people. Rick Warren has given me permission. <laughs> uh, Rick Warren's given me permission. It's just a one-word book. It's really very simple. Hide. The end. Okay? Seriously, that, that's all they're doing, okay? That, that's not what Jesus wants. And don't worry, I'm not offending anyone. If there are Amish people watching me on the Internet, they have bigger issues than this, okay? Don't worry about it. I, I don't have... Took you a little while, didn't it? Okay? Good, good. <laughs> I, don't have, I don't have anything against them. I'm kind of jealous of them. Sometimes I want to go run off and be away from the world. But Jesus told us to go into it, not hide from it. So here's Peter, and he's confused. How do I balance this? I don't know how this works. We get to Acts 10, and we meet a guy named Cornelius. Cornelius is a Gentile. Now, what, the, the, the funny thing about this, this, this declassification is that you either had Jews or Gentile. A Gentile just literally was a non-Jew, period. That was it, okay? It was kind of like the old days in America where you were white or you were non-white, okay? You're kind of like you Dutchies that grew up with, if you're not Dutch, you're not much. Yeah, see, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I, I mean, we all, have it built, we all have it built into us somehow. Me and mine, you know, I'm, we're the ones, we're right, we're the right ones, and everybody else is wrong. And, and hey, there, there is such a thing as truth in these issues, but it's what you do with the truth that we're talking about. That's what's important. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. Okay? He's a Roman officer. He's not just a Gentile, he's Italian. And the Romans had taken over the Jews. The Jews were subject to them. So nobody liked the Romans. And, I mean, nobody, they, Jews were not supposed to be with Gentiles, but you especially weren't going to be around a Roman. But for some reason, Cornelius was a good man. I think this is really important. There are people that don't understand how to believe correctly about Jesus and about God that are good people. Listen to this. He and his family were devout and God-fearing, and he gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. So he's a good dude. Well, if he's a good dude, then he's okay, right? No, he still needs Jesus. So Jesus goes to a lot of extreme to make sure that he is able to find his relationship with God the way that he's supposed to. Jeremiah said it this way, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So when you start worrying about all those other people out in the world and how everything's going to work out for them, seeking God, he's going to make himself known. I believe in that. It's still our job to go out there. It's still our job to go into all the world, but God is faithful. Cornelius is seeking God, but all he has is his understanding, his perspective, and Judaism, Old Testament Judaism to follow at this point. And the good news of the gospel hasn't spread to him yet. So in Acts chapter 10, God tells Cornelius that he's going to send Peter to him. Now, what's the problem? Peter's prejudiced. Again, he's been taught to be prejudiced. The Jews had the truth. The Jews had the law. They had the the, the tabernacle, and then they had the temple. They had the sign of circumcision, which made them a cut above the rest. That was Pastor Chaz's line. Uh, 
ChazRobbins at ParkviewChurch.com. God's own system. Okay, God set this up this way. In the Old Testament, the, Jew, the Jews were allowed into the temple, but the Gentiles were only allowed into a certain part of the temple. And God set that up, okay? That's the way that it, I mean, so we're talking about truth here. Literally, God set it up that way. A Gentile couldn't go into God's house. So even when Jesus comes along, and we talk a lot around here about how he went to the places he wasn't supposed to go, like the tax collector. He goes to Matthew's house. But Matthew was still a Jew. Jesus talks to that woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well. Just then, his disciples returned and found him surprised at talking to this woman. But nobody asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? They, they were smart enough not to do that, but he wasn't supposed to be there. But even the Samaritan woman was partially Jewish. So these prejudices are etched deeply into Peter's mind, and he's not going to change them easily. About Acts chapter 10, where we come in, they, the scholars figure the church is probably seven, eight, nine years old, and it is 100% full of Jews or people that can, converted to Judaism to become a Christian. About noon, the following day, as they were on the journey approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray little deck kind of thing up on the roof, and he begins to pray, and he's distracted while he prays because he's hungry. I, mean, I love the honesty here. Isn't that what happens to you, right? I think I'm going to pray. Boy, am I hungry. <laughs> right? I think I'm going to pray. Oh, look, the wallpaper is peeling over there in the corner. I think I'm going to pray. I wonder what it would be like to live in Alaska. That's what happens to me. It happens to Peter. Except his distraction daydream was about food, and it was about food he wasn't supposed to eat. Peter saw the heavens opened and something like a large sheet being let down by its four corners. And on this sheet are all these animals that are unkosher. They're unclean animals that are being laid, let down on this, on this sheet. And, and, and the voice in the vision says, Peter, kill and eat. Okay, There's a pig on this sheet and, and, and Peter's not supposed to eat it. And the voice says, Peter, kill and eat. That's the story. Bacon, lobster, all this good stuff that they couldn't eat. That These laws were set up by God, okay? This was set up by God to maintain the distinctiveness of the human race and, you know, and to protect their health, okay? So this was more than a preference to Peter. It's not like me and, you know, Brussels sprouts and apple cider vinegar, Denise. No, this was deeply religious for him. Three times he has this vision, the sheet comes down, it goes back up again, Peter, kill and eat, Peter, kill and eat, okay? And it just goes right on. While Peter was thinking about the vision, the Spirit, <laughs> the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, go down, get up, go downstairs, do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. What kind of men? They're Gentile men. And they're asking him to go over to a Gentile's house, a Roman centurion's house named Cornelius, who wants to know about God, wants to know about Jesus. So Peter goes. That's what the vision was all about. Peter goes. And he walks in and he sees these ham-eating, Sabbath-breaking, uncircumcised Gentiles in this house. And immediately he realizes what the vision was all about. And Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. And you just hear Peter's friends, right? Well, Peter, what if they eat pork? 
But Peter, what if they work for the Romans? What if they're a different ethnicity? What if they vote differently? God does not show favoritism. God, that doesn't mean that Peter needs to open up a bag of pork rinds and, and join in. He just needs to open up his heart and see like God sees. So he tells Cornelius and his friends and family about Jesus. And he told them about how God had anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and power. And he went around doing good and healing people. And about how he was killed and sacrificed for our sins and then raised up on the third day. And how someday when the Cubs win the World Series, he will come back again. Amen? He told them all, it's all right there in the text. And the Holy Spirit comes upon them. This is what's important, okay? Peter takes a chance and he's like, I think this is what God wanted me to do. And and he says, okay, here's the story. And the Holy Spirit came upon a place just like it did on the day of Pentecost when the church launched in the first place. I don't think that was for Cornelius. I don't think it was for the Gentiles. I think it was for Peter. God was just saying, look, I, I know I've given, you, I've given you power. I came down and allowed you to speak in tongues that you couldn't speak in, and I allowed you to do those things. Now I'm going to do that over here with Gentiles because I want you to understand that I don't show any favoritism. So Peter spoke up again and said, well, surely no one can stand in their way of being baptized with water. I bring it up every time I get the chance. Everybody was baptized by immersion when they came to Jesus. They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So they were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days, which he did. It was a pivotal point in the church's history. First time you don't have to become a Jew before you come to Christ. First time ever. So what do we learn? Um, I think, first of all, we got to remember that God does not show favoritism, that God values all people, that all people are loved by him. Republican, Democrat, you know, black, white, Asian, whatever, whatever it is, it doesn't make a bit of difference. We are all made in the image of God, imago Dei. Even if they are actually wrong about the things of God, God still loves them unconditionally. Because when I was wrong about the things of God, when I'm a sinner, Peter went on and wrote a letter later on to one of the churches, and he said that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So God loves everybody without favoritism, which brings me to the second one. Admit, you're not that gorgeous yourself. Okay? Just just admit that. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us too. Don't forget that. Admit that you're not that beautiful. Pastor Todd... Must have been bored during a Cubs game one night because he was messing around on my Instagram and um, he sent me this picture. With a text that said, here's Johnny. Uh, That's Jack Nicholson from The Shining. He's a psycho, okay? No wonder little Olivia was so scared. I didn't really realize why she wasn't smiling in the picture. Kind of funny, but you know what? I don't notice those things about me. I I don't see my blind spots. And sometimes it's good for people to point them out to me and go, you know what? You look kind of psycho every once in a while. Uh, you know, yeah, do you have an ax in your hand? I mean, this is, th- th- these are some things that we don't always know. So understand, first of all, that God loves everybody. And number two, that everybody includes you and you're not all that gorgeous sometimes. And, and number three, admit that even when you are lovely, you have preconceived biases. 
I don't want to use the word prejudice because nobody wants to admit that, but we have prejudices. We have biases. Peter has such a problem with this, you guys, that later on the apostle Paul has to confront him because Peter has gone back to hanging out with the Judaizers, the people who were telling everyone that they needed to become Jews before they could become Christians. Peter went back and was hanging out with them. The whole book of Galatians is about that. And Paul has to confront it and and say, no, no, this is not right. We are all the same. This is not the way it's supposed to be. But Peter had preconceived notions, and it was hard for him to get away from them. James, a brother of Jesus, said, "My my brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. And favoritism, the word means face value. Don't think things at face value, but that's exactly what we do. We see somebody, we know how somebody feels about something, and we preconceived biases start to come out against us. Number four, try to understand, all right? God loves everybody. Sometimes I'm not that beautiful. I have preconceived biases, so now what am I going to do? I'm going to try to understand. Rather than jumping to a conclusion, being quick to judge, assuming the worst about somebody, I'm going to walk a mile in their moccasins, as the Native Americans used to say, right? I'm going to try to imagine what it must like to be them. 1947, Jackie Robinson became the first black man to play baseball in Major League Baseball. You know that story. Brooklyn Dodgers, and it was brutal. If you need a little more baseball fix... And there's still some good movies you can see, right? 42, you can watch that. If you haven't seen 42 about Jackie Robinson, amazing, okay? What he went through was, it was unbelievable. The movie did a good job of showing it, but I don't think that really gave it the whole thing. The crowds booed him everywhere he went. They threw things onto the field. They waited for him to make a mistake so that they could validate their hatred against him. And one afternoon... Things were going really, really badly. The fans had been merciless. He'd made a couple of errors, couldn't get a break anywhere. And, and his own fans for the, the, the Dodgers were booing him in, in disapproval. And that's when Pee Wee Reese, white guy from Louisville, Kentucky, right in the heart of where things were very prejudiced in that day, put his hand up, called timeout with the umpire, and walked out to the outfield and put his arm around Jackie Robinson's shoulder and whispered some much-needed encouragement into his ear. And the crowd became quiet, and the game resumed. And afterward, Jackie Robinson said, that embrace saved my career. Just try to understand. Sometimes it's just a kind word. It's just a hand on a shoulder. It's just a genuine question. How are you really doing? I want to identify with you. I want to understand. I I want to know what it's like to be you, what it was like to grow up the way you grew up. I want to understand that. Then that can lead me to the last one, which is we must be proactive. Understand that God loves everybody. I'm not that lovely. I have biases. I'm going to try to understand, and then we're going to be proactive. Listen Listen to the early church. Listen to what happens in the early church. There's one verse in Acts 13. This is three chapters later after Cornelius is led into the kingdom. In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Manian, and a member, member of the royal family, and Saul. In one verse, what you have are black, white, Jew, Gentile, slave, and free. And that's the way it should be because the apostle Paul later said, there is no Jew or Greek. 
or slave or free or male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And we have to be proactive to make it that way. The church has to be a place of racial equality, of gender equality, of political equality, of religious background equality, because we are all one. And how does that happen? Well, the entire law is summed up in this single command. Paul said, love your neighbor as yourself. That's what Jesus told us. So maybe being proactive is about purposefully spending some time with your literal neighbor or coworker who is different than you. And I don't think that's a problem anymore. I mean, it's not like we live in these segregated areas and we work in these segregated areas anymore. There are probably people around you that vote differently than you, that look differently than you, that that think differently than you, and they're probably already your neighbor. So this isn't going to be that difficult. It's just about being proactive and becoming their friend and doing what Jesus told you to do. God told Cornelius also... Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering to God. So maybe it's not just about being proactive about the people that are around you. It's about being proactive with people who are in need. Because as we help people in need, I mean, even this heathen guy was helping people who were in need. And as we do that, we're being proactive to the solution. That's why we're providing this opportunity for you this weekend. To sponsor a kid from the slums of Kenya. And when I say the slums of Nairobi, guys, I know you've seen pictures. Maybe you've been in places that are slums in the U.S. You just can't imagine what it's like. You just can't imagine. And these kids need an education, and they need food. So Mary Kamau, I call her the Mother Teresa of Nairobi. When she was in college... She saw these kids that needed food, and so she started going into these slum areas, and she started taking her lunch. She would just take her lunch, and she would share it and get to know the kids. Pretty soon, she started telling other people, and other people started giving her food, and they started taking food in. And and as she kept taking food in, she realized she was not going to be able to solve the problem unless these kids got an education. They were never going to get out of where they were. They were just going to propagate the same issue. So she talked to her husband, Wallace, who's a great businessman. He's here with us this weekend, too, into starting a school. And they started a school together. I got involved 10 years ago. I I went to Kenya for the first time 10 years ago with a few of my preacher friends. And and, and by that time, there were already three or four schools that were already going on and several thousand kids that were involved. When we came back, we got our other friends involved. A lot of churches in the U.S. are involved. And now they have 21,000 kids in 20 schools all around Kenya. And it's awesome. (laughs) It couldn't be any better. It's like literally the loaves and fishes, you know, story from Jesus that, that, that things have just multiplied. She was telling me last night, we were having dinner last night, they are telling us about the Muslim communities in Kenya. Some of them are coming to them and saying, will you please put a school here? And they're like, yeah, we'll put a school there, but you've got to understand we're going to teach Christian things. We're going to teach about Jesus. And, and they're saying, we don't care what you teach. We know that you love our children. 
We know that you will help our children. We don't care what you teach. That's the gospel, you guys. And that's, what, that's what's supposed to happen. That's being proactive. And they don't go in and proselytize. They don't go in and tell people what to believe. They go in and they love. And they give them two meals a day, breakfast and a lunch, and they teach them about Jesus and they give them an education. And their education rate is the highest in Kenya. 99% of their kids graduate and move on to the high school level. The national average is 70%, okay? Good education. Yeah. How does that happen? It happens when you say, you know what, kids? I know you're getting ready to hit me up for that new Xbox for Christmas, but we're going to do $38 a month, and we're going to sponsor little Elizabeth on the wall here. And I'll get you a Chia Pet from Walmart. (laughs) But we're going to do something really important here, okay? Okay. $38 $38 a month for an elementary kid, 70 for a high school kid. I have, my wife and I have five kids that we sponsor different areas around, around the country. Um, but, but my high school kid, our high school kid, graduated from high school, and we were actually the first people to sponsor a high school kid in this system, and he graduated from college, and now he's back teaching again, and so is his brother, back helping to, to solve the problem, okay? That's the way that it's supposed to be. Yeah, yeah, it's great. So... So we're not paying for him anymore. We're not paying for him anymore. So we went and got another little girl. And, and, and so I, I'm telling you this because sometimes you see the sponsoring things and you're like, well, how much goes to overhead? And, and you know, are these kids real? Is this really what's happening? I'm going to tell you, I met these kids. These kids are real. This is legit. I can promise you it's going right to the right place. It's going through the right people. And I want to encourage you to go out in the East Foyer when this is over. If you're watching online, we'll give you the information online, how you can sign up and do this and and get it for $38 a month, you can be proactive. You might not ever get to meet them. Maybe you will. You can go with us on a trip. You might not get to meet them, but you can be proactive about this. We also have safe families out there today to talk about maybe you're not ready for adoption or whatever, but, but this is a way to help with the foster care system. Uh, safe families is a way to help bring kids in just for short term when they need help. And you can learn how to make a difference. You can do that. Okay, be proactive. Be proactive in your heart. That's what really makes a difference. Forty years ago, Martin Luther, 40 plus years ago, Martin Luther King stood on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial and gave the dream speech. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of that creed, all men are created equal. I have a dream that my four little children will one day grow up in a nation where they won't be judged by the color of their skin, but the content of their character. When we think back about that speech now, and honestly, it makes me a little sad that this far later we aren't farther along down that dream than we are. But every one of us knows that he was slam dunk absolutely right. And every one of us knows that that's the way that it ought to be. What we don't realize is that when he made that speech, it wasn't very popular. As a matter of fact, it got him killed. We'll flash back a few thousand years to another preacher. He wasn't black. He wasn't white either. He was brown. His skin was more brown. He grew up on the wrong side of the tracks also. His family was poor. He had no father's name on his birth certificate. He was the object of ridicule and shame all of his life. Had minimal education. Barely traveled outside the place where he grew up. 
So when he got up to give his first sermon in the synagogue one day, everybody was like, wow, I wonder what's going to happen. A scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. I have a dream, right? Good news to the poor. To proclaim freedom for prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To release the oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he said to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I hear that today, and it sounds a lot like the I have a dream speech that happened in 1963 in the Washington Mall. And he goes on and he tells us how love is supposed to be, just like Dr. Martin Luther King did. But do you know that the Gospel of Luke tells us that the crowd tried to kill him for that speech too? They tried to drive him off a cliff. He wasn't ready to die yet, so that didn't happen But Jesus' ministry, like Martin Luther King's ministry, was a radical change from the norm. And Martin Luther King's ministry was a radical change from the norm because he believed in Jesus Christ. And he believed in what Jesus Christ said. Because it was unheard of in those days when Jesus said this. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies And pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Really? Let's pray. God, that's that's difficult. It It was a difficult ideal in 1963. It was a difficult ideal when you brought it to us 2,000 years ago, and it's difficult today. As we walk into this week, as we walk into this political election as we have so many opinions of so many things going on all around us, and there's a great bit of discouragement about where our country is or where it's headed, Lord, will you help us to remember that you gave us one charge, you gave us one edict, one thing to do, and that was to love. That's what we're going to do this week. That's what we're going to do with our lives. We're going to love, and we're going to trust that you are in charge and we're going to worship you. Make us one. In Jesus' name I pray.